It's a joy to welcome you again to worship here at First Baptist. If you'll take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 39. Um, we are in the second week of Advent. Um, again, Advent is one of my favorite times of the year. I love the colors. I love the songs. I love the memories. Um, I love especially the traditions of our faith. Um, and so this is the season, Advent, that we celebrate the coming of Christ. As I say each, each time, it is both a remembrance of what has happened in the past and an expectation as God's people of the future. Advent serves as a fulfillment of our longing, our expecting, and our waiting as God's people. As we remember His promises that He has made and He has kept by sending Christ some 2,000 years ago. But it also symbolizes our present situation as we continue today waiting on God to fulfill the great promise of coming again to receive us unto himself. And so today we're going to continue our Advent series which is titled Lift Up Your Eyes. Beholding, the, uh, sorry, Lift Up Your Eyes, the, the subtitle is The Transforming Power of Seeing Jesus by Faith. Now, we take that theme from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the Bible is clear, as we, as we will say over and over again, the Bible is clear that when we see Jesus by faith, we are transformed in one way or another. We will either be transformed more into His image as we love Him, serve Him, long for Him, and wait for Him, or we will be hardened, and we will move more and more into the darkness of our own sin and of our own hearts. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay into bricks. And that's a, that's a, that's a picture that I can't get out of my head. That either I will be softened and moldable and shaped, or I will become more hardened as I turn away from Christ. So, the, the truth is, again, we become like what we worship. We'll either be conformed to Christ that we love, or we'll be, or we'll be more conformed to the world. And so my goal this Advent season is that we will fix our eyes on Jesus intentionally and intensely. And so that when we fix our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith, we will be transformed by His glory and grace. So today, my title is Lift Up Your Eyes and See God's Salvation. That's what we want to see. Lift up our eyes and see God's salvation. So look there in Luke 2. I'm going to be reading verses 22 through 39. And this is what the Bible says. So this is after... This is after Mary has given birth to Jesus. He says this, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, that's Mary and Joseph, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, 
and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit in the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word. I have two points this morning. Very simple, very straightforward. Number one, looking and waiting for God's promised Messiah. Looking and waiting for God's promised Messiah. Now, in this account, we are introduced to two new characters. We have Mary and and Joseph, and we have the child Jesus, But we're introduced to two characters named Simeon and Anna. What they both have in common is that they are both worshipers of God who who are united in a messianic hope. They have a hope about them. They are waiting and looking and worshiping, waiting on God to send His promised Messiah and Deliverer. Now, one of my favorite things about the Advent season is this idea of expectation and hope. All of us should have this in our minds during this season, okay? Think about during the Christmas season when you are waiting for family members to show up, especially grandkids, right, grandparents? You're just waiting on them to bust through the door with joy and excitement, Or think about it as kids. If you're waiting on your grandparents to show up, there's always something about kids and grandparents, but you're waiting to see your nana, your papa, your grumps, whoever they may be. You're longing for them. You're waiting on them. Or you're waiting. I remember this too when it gets cold and the temperature dips and there's a forecast of snow and I'm just waiting in the window. Is it going to come? And most of the time, what are we? We're very disappointed. Very disappointed, but we're waiting on it, right? We're just, especially when you're a kid, you're like, if it snows, I get to get out of school. Please, the snow can't come soon enough. Some of you watch the calendar two weeks out expecting it to be right, and that's faith. That's faith. But you're waiting on that. Or if you're baking, you're waiting on the cookies to come out of the oven. Will they ever be ready? You're waiting on the, on the turkey to be ready, waiting on that Amazon package to be delivered. When will the FedEx truck show up? 
waiting to open gifts. Oh my goodness, you see them under the tree for weeks at a time, and you're just like, uh, you shake them, you touch them. You might be sneaky enough to try to unwrap one. When mom's not looking, you'll get caught. Children, you'll be caught. But isn't that it? You're waiting, right? You're waiting on Christmas morning. Will it ever get here? Such anticipation and expectation, right? It is looking and waiting and the hope of arrival. That is it. And when time seems to stand still, right? As we get older, time just goes so much faster. But I remember as a child and a teenager, like it's like time stands still during this season. It doesn't move. Will it ever get here? Will they ever come? Will Christmas morning ever be here? And by the way, that is the same hope, the same expectation, the same anticipation of Simeon and Anna and all of God's people who are waiting on the first advent of Jesus. Isn't he going to come? When will he be here? When will he arrive? Has the time come yet? Listen, Anna and Simeon, as devout Jews... They know their situation as God's people. They know all of the promises that were made to Adam and Eve in the garden of a coming serpent crusher who would rescue them from the curse. They know the promises to Abraham that through Abraham's line all the nations of the earth will be blessed. They know the promise to Jacob. They know the promise to Judah that the scepter would not depart Judah, but out of them would come a ruler who would rule the nations. And then to David, that on your line will sit one who will reign forever. And then all of the prophets who said things like this, right? Isaiah 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Where is he? When will he be here? Or Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his, uh, on his shoulder. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Or the promise of Micah 5, 2, but you, Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who will be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old. The Ancient of Days. Anna and Simeon and all of God's people have this expectation and hope. They are looking and waiting on the Messiah. All of these promises build up anticipation and hope. And that's what this season should do in our lives. We should be doing this with our children. Building up anticipation and hope and expectation. And these promises, by the way, these promises led them practically to live differently because they had a hope did you notice the similarities between Simeon and Anna look at how they're described here they're both described in terms of their devotion to the Lord you see what it says Simeon is righteous and devout the Holy Spirit is upon him Anna is a widow but what is she doing she's she does not leave the temple She's constantly worshiping and fasting and praying. So how do you describe them? Think about it. They're looking and waiting and worshiping. They're worshiping and waiting and looking. And that should be true for us today. 
That is how we engage in Advent. It should be clear to all that we are worshiping and looking and waiting for Jesus. The promise and hope of Christ's return should shape our daily lives in the same way. It should shape our habits. It should be apparent to all in our worship, in our devotion, and in our conduct. So that's my question. Are you looking and waiting and worshiping? Are you worshiping and looking and waiting? Is there this expectation and hope that all of my waiting and looking and worshiping, one day I will see Him? One day I will see Him. Secondly, but they're also looking for something else. They're looking and waiting for God's salvation. They're not just waiting on God's Messiah. They're also waiting on God's salvation We just took note, by the way, right there, looking and waiting for God's long-promised Messiah. But look back at verses 26 through 31. They're looking specifically that this promised Messiah will bring something with him. He will bring salvation and redemption. Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit, if you look back, he says, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's why he's waiting with such anticipation as he ages. He believes the promise. He's waiting for its fulfillment. Then look at verse 28. He says, he took up the child in his arms. He blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your your servant depart in peace according to your promise that you made to me. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. Not just the Messiah. He's seen the Messiah. But I've seen salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then verse 38, Anna. It says there in verse 38 that she comes up in the middle of this this joy of, of Simeon. And she is rejoicing among all those who are what? Waiting for the redemption. The salvation of Jerusalem. Now don't miss this. To see the Lord's Christ is to see God's salvation. You can't miss that connection. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. It is to see God's redemption. As Simeon raises this little baby boy in his arms, he is literally holding his salvation. I think Brother Lee made the point Wednesday night that he's not, Simeon is not going to live much longer. He's not going to see anything about Jesus' ministry. But this is enough. He's not going to see Jesus walk on water. He's not going to see him feed 5,000. He's not going to see him die and be buried and be resurrected. But he still sees his salvation. That is the thing. This child, Jesus, has come to bring salvation. Not only to Simeon, but to all who will look on him by faith. And see here that the good news of the gospel is that this salvation isn't just for Israel. It's not just for Simeon. No, Jesus comes to fulfill God's promise to bless the whole world through Abraham's line. Jesus has come to, Jesus has been sent to bring salvation to all people as far as the curse of Genesis 3 is found, as the song says. He will bring light to the Gentiles and be the glory of all Israel. But here's the question. Here's the question. What kind of salvation will this long-awaited Messiah bring? Will he, like Moses, 
deliver God's people from their oppressor like Rome? Is he going to come and deliver them from Rome? Or will he, like David, rise to rule as king and rid the land of their enemies? No. Not at least at this advent. Not at this advent. There will be a second one where other things will happen. But not at this advent. We find out as Jesus begins his ministry what kind of salvation he's going to bring. Jesus goes out, remember, to John the Baptist and who was sent ahead of him to prepare the way. And when John, who was also waiting on Jesus to be made known publicly, when he sees Jesus, he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, look, see, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the salvation that Jesus brings. That those who behold Him and look to Him and wait for Him and hope in Him will have their sins taken away and forgiven. That whoever believes in Christ will never perish but have everlasting life. Those who come to Him and look on Him will be saved from God's judgment due to their sins. That's what Jesus brings. That's John 3.16. But if you'll notice, if you were to go to John 3.14, Jesus makes that point. In John 3.14, Jesus tells Nicodemus, who doesn't really understand who this, who this Jesus character is, he can't understand what it means to be born again. He can't understand what it means for the Spirit to come upon him, for his sins to be forgiven. He doesn't understand. And Jesus says this to him in John 3.14. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, that may seem like a strange thing for Jesus to say. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Moses lifted up the serpent, anyone who looks on him will be saved. Now Jesus is quoting there from Israel's exodus in Numbers 21. If you were to go back to Numbers 21, you'll find this story. So let me, let me summarize it for you. The children of Israel have come out of Egypt. And they grumble along the way. They're mad that they're eating manna. They're mad that they're not eating meat. They're grumbling and complaining and because God's salvation isn't good enough for them, even though God rescued them out of slavery. So they whine and grumble and complain. That's why they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years under God's judgment. But God is angry. And God sends fiery serpents into the camp. And those serpents go through the camp of Israel. And, it, and the serpents bite them. And many of them die because they are bitten by these fiery serpents. And so the people, obviously then, they're not so complaining anymore about that. Now they're like, God, please have mercy on us because of these serpents. And so Moses intercedes for the people. And God gives Moses a very strange command. God says, Moses, make a bronze serpent. Put it on a pole and set it out in the camp. And if anyone looks at that serpent, they will live. If they are bitten, if they go out to that pole and look on that serpent, 
they will live. And by the way, that, that serpent on a pole became, become, is the emblem today of our medical field um, of healing. And so if you ever see that anywhere at hospitals or anywhere like that. But the point is, if you look, you will live. This is what God says there in, Mo, in, uh, in Numbers 21. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, do you see what's happening here and what Jesus is saying back in John 3? If you're bitten by the serpent, what do you have to do? Look. If you're bitten by the fiery serpent, look at the bronze serpent on the pole. That was provided for you and you will live. That bronze serpent is a picture of the curse and God's judgment on you because of your sin. You were bitten by a serpent. Look at the serpent that was provided for you, the curse, and you'll live. That bronze serpent is a picture. You can't find salvation or relief from the poison if you don't look at the bronze serpent. And you might go, I don't want to look. Then you'll die. You'll die. Think about going into a cousin or a relative that's been bitten by the serpent in the, in the wilderness. And they go, and you go, listen, there is salvation. All you have to do is get out of the tent and look at the serpent. Look at the pole. I don't believe it. Why would you not believe it? God said if you go out there and look, you'll live. Why would you not believe it? My, our, other, our other brother was bitten, and he looked at it, and he's alive. I was bitten. I looked at it, and I'm alive. Go look at it. All you have to do is go out and look. Look at what was provided for you. It operates by faith. See the bronze serpent, look at it, and live. That is exactly what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Here's the point. You are a sinner. You have been bitten. The poison of sin is in you. You will die because of your sin, but God has given you another to look at and live. Another one who has been provided in your place. Another one who has come to bear the curse of your sin for you. All you have to do is lift up your eyes, look and live. Believe and look. Look and believe. Lift up your eyes and see Jesus and live. That's the message of the gospel. Look up and live. So here's my question as I conclude here. What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? What are you looking for to bring you salvation? Where is your hope? Listen, everyone is looking on something or someone by faith. They're either looking on their morality and how good they are. Like, I hope my morality will save me. I'm not as bad as everybody else, but I'm better than a whole lot of others. Salvation by works. Maybe I'll be good enough. Or maybe they're looking for a relationship to save them. If I could just be in this relationship or that relationship, I would be saved. Or maybe you're looking for some government to save you or for some pope to save you or for some pastor to save you or, or some other reason for you to be saved. For others, it's money. Well, money will be the reason that I'm saved. Or maybe it's power or position. For others, it could be your hope or faith in medicine that you actually... That dying is actually optional. There's so many people in America that believe that. That dying is optional. Like medicine is going to ultimately save you from your appointment with death. And you standing before God's judgment because of your sin. 
Let me tell you something. Doctors agree 100 out of 100 people will die. The statistics are not in your favor. So here's my question. What are you looking for? Are you, look to Jesus. Do you see Jesus with eyes of faith? Do you see him as the curse bearer, as the deliverer, as the giver of eternal life? Do you see him as the promised Messiah, as the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Have you seen him by faith as the crucified, risen, and reigning Lord of all? To believe is to look, and to look is to believe. Now, let me share with you, um, let me share with you the, the story of Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers in history. I heard this, this, the story of his conversion years ago, but it's so pertinent to this. And so here's how Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers in history, tells of his own experience of lifting up his eyes and seeing Jesus. Fair warning, you're about to hear a sermon from a primitive Methodist preacher. That's what's about to happen here in Charles Spurgeon. So you're going to hear my sermon and the sermon of a primitive Methodist preacher. This one is better than mine, I promise. This is what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, I sometimes think that I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a place of worship. When I could go no further... I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not even come in that morning because he was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker, a tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. He says he did not even pronounce the words rightly, but it did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began this way. My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, looking don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Many of ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. Ye will never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father, no. Look to Him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look to me. Some of you are saying, we must be waiting for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look to me. Then the good man followed up his text this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on a cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. Look unto me. And when he had gone about that length and managed to spin out ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his rope. Then he looked at me under the gallery, gallery, 
And I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said this. Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. But I had not been accustomed to having remarks made to me from the pulpit about my personal experience. Maybe I should do that a little bit. You look very miserable. You look very miserable. However, he says, it was a good blow. It struck right home. He continued, and you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey this text. But if you obey now, this moment you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could, Young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And Spurgeon says, I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not else what he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought, like as when the bronze serpent was lifted up and the people only looked and were healed, so it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard the word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness rolled away, and from that moment I saw the sun, and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Jesus. Listen, make the connection this morning. To believe is to see, to see Jesus. To see is to believe, and to believe is to see. Lift up your eyes and look to Jesus and see God's salvation that has been provided for you. Listen, you can't see God's salvation unless you look to Jesus. So my question this morning is, are you waiting and are you looking and are you hoping, Christian, on the second advent? And if you're here and you're not a believer, where are you looking? You can wait to do 50 things. But you will be miserable in this life and in the next unless you look to Jesus. This Advent season, there could be no greater joy than to know that in this Advent season, the Christ who came to make his, earth, his, his home here on earth will make his home in your heart as you look on him by faith. Would you pray with me? Father, pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. And Father, may all of us now lift up our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and call on him to be saved. Father, we pray you'd speak now for Jesus' sake. As we have this time of invitation, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.